0: Gather round, circle up, fill the cups, spill the tea Just believe, just believe the Diamond Dogs are here And that means that you're not alone We get one shot at this life And heaven knows, heaven knows that we try, that we try The Diamond Dogs are here
1: So welcome to the season one finale episode of the Diamond Dogs podcast. I can't believe we've made our way almost all the way through an entire season. This episode is is such a great ending. It has happy, it has sad, it has, of course, all the leadership lessons that we love. Um, So let's get right into the recap so we can dive in. In this episode, we see Nate officially get promoted to coach. Uh, which is such a, such a good scene. And uh, one of his first acts as coach is to show the team an inspirational video of Jamie, basically saying terrible things about the team. It's a really great scene where that uh, breaks down that we'll dig into Mm -hmm. and a great scene between Rebecca and Ted, where now that uh, the air is cleared and the apology has happened. Now we just get to see what a great leader Rebecca is. Mm-hmm. So she's this great coaching scene with Ted and really inspires him to cause some chaos on the field to confuse the other team. So all the prep for the game is, is learning a bunch of trick plays and the team does really great with all of that. Ends up getting uh, the score to tied in this final game, which decides whether they get relegated or not. But unfortunately, Jamie is able to score a goal at the last minute, he actually makes a pass to one of his players, Which is huge a huge character development for Jamie. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, Manchester City wins the game. And um, that means that Richmond gets relegated. So let's go ahead and, and dive in, Jason. Where should we start?
0: And there's again, I feel like every time we do these, there's just so much. much. Um, <laughs> I think one of my faves in this, and since we just ended with Rebecca talking about you know, we, we finally have peeled the onion a little bit of, of who she is. Um, I love what she says when she says, I forget how stress or I forgot how stressful this is when you care. I
1: know. <laughs> See, so she's watching the game and that's what she's, she turns to Keely and says that. Oh, so funny.
0: And I think that that's, I, I think that maybe sometimes our uh, folks that are listening who are in the leadership world you know we we don't care because we are afraid you know what's what like i'm good on autopilot right like i'm i'm good just you know going through the motions but man i and, and i get i get that i think like for some people i'm just so not wired that way like i was talking to a guy the other night um friend of mine and he's like he's like you know i'm at this place where i want to kind of push the envelope a little bit and, and see what else is out there. He's like, but I've had two jobs. I've worked for two companies and basically been in two jobs my whole career. Like he's moved up the ladder, wow. but like he's been, yeah, in, been
1: in the same companies.
0: And he's saying that to me. And Beth, I'm like, I, I said to him, I'm like, I can't imagine what you just said. I worked for one company for 10 years and had seven jobs <laughs> in 10 years. So like, I just don't get it and his and and he said which i think i've got to think that there are an awful lot of people in the world and maybe some who are listening who feel this way and and he was very honest and i appreciated what he said he said i'm pretty content with where i am and i'm a little afraid he's like do i want more he's like sure i think <laughs> but but it's scary what's on the other it's side that, yeah. of that. And I i got a chance to throw in one of my favorite quotes of all time, my Jack Canfield quote, which is that everything you want is on the other side of fear. And I just think that so often we are we are afraid of what's going to happen if we care. But I just... I gotta tell you, as one who has who has walked through the fear and been on the other side, it's there's no comparison.
1: <laughs> well, and and you have to weigh that with what's it costing you to stay where you are and not care? Yes. Like what what's that giving you in your yes. life? You no. Know? So um, much. That's not a good place either. <laughs> so no. It might not be perfect on the other side of fear, but what what if what if it's different? What if it's better? You know.
0: And- you know, I don't know if uh, the analogy just came to mind is like when you go, if you've, if you've gone, if you bought a house, right, and and you, you've you gone to look at the house and let's say you didn't look on the Zillow's and and find all the pictures, like, or even if you did, right, you still go to the house and you show up and it's like, what's behind this door? Like you have no idea what's behind that door until you open the door. Yeah. Right? And so when you open that door, you may realize like that leads to a basement that you didn't know because maybe it wasn't listed or uh growing up my aunt and uncle had a secret room off of their uh kitchen which was super cool. Super cool. Um, you know, as a little kid, it the 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 door looked like a panel and it was like these eerie stairs and to this place that, you know, it was a little secret room. You don't know until you open the door and I find that so often when I can walk alongside of people and help them get to the other side of fear. It's like they've opened the door and suddenly there are 10 other doors that they could open that yeah. they never saw because they were on the other side of the first door.
1: Yeah, boy is that true. Yeah, I feel that. I want to talk about the coaching scene that happens with Rebecca and Ted because I yeah. think that scene is is really what I spend a lot of time talking to leaders and helping them build skills in different areas. And mm-hmm. leaning into this skill of coaching as a leader is, is just one of those tools. That's just not utilized enough. Like mm-hmm. Rebecca does a really great job of basically the scene opens with, of course, he's bringing her, her morning biscuits great. and she, she starts off and says, I sense you're carrying around more today than just biscuits Ted." <laughs> just such a great, like, <laughs> Opening for, Hey, I can tell something's going on today. So do you want to talk about it? Right. Which is
0: her, like, that's as close as she can get to, to like the vulnerability piece at this moment, but she's still there, you know, doing it it her own way, which I think is awesome.
1: Well, and she's getting, you know, now that, that she's really letting herself care about the team and she's, she's let go of this grudge that she has, you know, she's really letting herself show up in a different way for everybody. And we start to really see. I think the leader that she truly is, that's been trying to get out. Like we've seen these glimpses of it, but now we're seeing the real good stuff come out. And so he, you know, he confesses that he's really nervous about this game. He doesn't know how he can beat them. And, you know, he's just got all this anxiety and she really encourages him to just think outside the box and think about how he can cause yep. chaos. And that sparks in him. Like you literally see one of those light bulb, bulb- moments yep. happen where he goes, "Gosh, I
0: love yep, that. that's
1: yeah. it. And then he gets yep. up and he leaves. And it's just such a great example of what can happen when you leave a little space for somebody, mm-hmm. you ask him some powerful questions, mm-hmm. you get them to tap into really what's going on and you let them open up the possibilities that are already inside his brain. Like he knew what to do once it was sparked. He didn't need any more help. He didn't need micromanagement or a bunch of directions. He just needed the space to let the idea come to him. Right. And it's just such a great leadership scene.
0: And then what follows from that is that he goes back to the team, right? And just, which again, I love, I see leaders do this. So they have the moment that Rebecca and Ted have and then they go back and prescribe everything yes. to do right and that's
1: not what he does at all
0: no he goes back and says what are let's pull out all the stops put it all on the table there's no bad ideas like what's what are all the trick plays and they just start going through all of these plays and they have all these it's just, it's awesome. All these ways to disrupt and to be, yeah. uh, to create chaos. And, and it's
1: this great brainstorming scene where, you know, we've got so writing them on the board and everybody's throwing an idea out. And then at the end, he says, okay, we're this week. This is what we're doing. We're learning these plays. And he throws out there at the end, he throws one, he goes, just throw, throw one up there called the lasso way. And we never see it. You never see anything about mm-hmm. that until the end of the game, but it's such a great, it's again just another example of as a leader, you don't have to be the one that has the answer. You don't. You just have to leave the space for people.
0: And what ultimately happens at the end, right, is they wind up calling that play too, which is so cool. Yeah. Like he doesn't call it. They, they, they're like the lasso way. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Again, what does that show? That show that your team, that shows that your team trusts you enough, um, and they believe in it enough. I mean, that's high trust. Yeah. Right and they
1: have that. They, they tee that up in a way. I think they don't always make as plain as they did this time. Cause they also show this great moment between Ted and his son where mm-hmm. they're, you know, I think his son's basically giving him like a little pep talk before the game. And he says, and then he says something like, what do you do during the game anyway? Cause you, you're just standing there and he goes, well, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like being a parent and. During the game, I have to just stand and trust that I've taught them what they need to do, you know, yeah. to do their job. I can't really do anything during during the game. And at first, I love the parenting analogy because that's exactly what parenting feels like all the time, oh, especially as you have uh, a have 12-year-old. We're in teenage now, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I have to just trust that I have instilled the things um, that he needs to continue to be a good human. and. Yeah. Then you see that play out where the team does, like the team has been absorbing what he's been teaching and they do know what to do and they call the right play at the right moment and score the goal and tie the game. And it's just such a great scene.
0: You know, when you think about this from a leadership perspective, I think so many based on the culture of the place and maybe the culture that you have created as a leader. Let's just put that onus yeah. where it needs to be. So leader, uh, opportunity here to check yourself. I can't ever say that phrase without saying, check yourself before, before you, wreck you wreck yourself. yourself. That's right. Yeah. Another YouTubeable uh you don't searchable moment, yeah. YouTube searchable moment. Um, I think so many people are afraid of failure. What if it fails? What if it fails? What if we don't? And I have seen more companies do well who fail fast and fail often and then share the lessons learned so that they don't step in the same hole another time. And that's massive. Does your team feel that they have permission to call the play? Yeah, first. That's the
1: first place to start.
0: Right? Do they have permission to call the play and do they have the freedom to execute it and potentially fail? And you know how does how does all that? How yeah, does all and that what work happens
1: out? if they do fail? Like, what's the what's the culture like if failure does happen?
0: Yeah, and that's I think that's huge. Yeah, I worked um, for a
1: company for a while where they there was there was this saying that. <laughs> that they would say of, you know, our, our goal is to fail fast. Like if we're going to fail, we want to do it quickly, Mm -hmm. but it was just lip service. Really. They didn't want you to, (laughs) right. They they were still, they just wanted you to do what you were doing fast. Like Mm -hmm. that's really what it was. Right. And so it can't just be something you say it has to be okay. Okay. What happens when a failure
0: occurs? I think this is a great opportunity for you as a leader. If if core values are a big deal where yeah. you are, right? If they're emblazoned And if they're not, on, they should be. Right. Preach that. But if they're emblazoned on everything that you have, right? They're on little, they're pinned up in people's cubes and they're on the website and they're, um, this is a great place. This is a great opportunity, I think, to just really do, how does that show up in my team? Do we yeah. do these things- And if you want to be really brave, just send out an email to your team and say, you know, of the five core values that we have, where do you see that we are the strongest? Where do you see that we are not strong? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And be willing to take the feedback without getting offended because you feel like you've done whatever it needs to be to make that thing that everybody thinks is a weakness, a strength, because... That's the only way that things are going to get better. So make sure that.
1: Well, and the another way you can kind of model that vulnerability is you can frame that. And here's what I think. Here's what I think we're doing well. And here's what I think we're not doing well. True, false. What what's what do I have right? right. What do I have wrong? Yep. Um, and that just gives them permission to know, oh, okay, you're serious. you told me what you think too. Um, right. That makes it a little less risky for people. I think sometimes. Okay, let's dig into this this part that happens with Jamie too. This is such a you know Jamie. I just hate him with every fiber of my being. Yep. He's but an easy one to he hate. Does have this like really great moment on the field. So at the end, the game is tied. They've gotten word by that point that all they need is a tie in order to not get yep. relegated. Yep. Um. So really, they're just trying to hold hold things at the end. Unfortunately, Jamie gets the ball and breaks away, and could easily make the goal. But he yep. stops a second and makes a pass, which, you, you know, in the history of the show, we never see.
0: Never. TV right. That ever. Nope.
1: And that was something Ted was really on him to do more passing. And you kind of see it on his face. Like he has this realization, I th- I think, through watching some of the other things that happen through the game and just some of the conversations he and Keeley have had and other things that have happened. You see him kind of pull this all together and he makes mm-hmm. the pass. And then, unfortunately, what happens at the end is they show the scene where Jamie's dad is there and he's yelling at Jamie for making Yeah, they're it. like yes. in the locker room. Yeah, in the locker room. And it gave me such empathy for what it must have been like for Jamie as a kid because Ugh. if he's yelling at his adult son like that, like can you imagine what it must have been like for f- poor fictional Jamie when he was, you know, a kiddo? And Ted just happens to walk by as it's happening. So he mm-hmm. then writes a note and has it delivered to Jamie on the bus. And they they show this moment where Jamie opens it. And the note says, way to make the extra pass. Proud of you, right. Ted. Yeah. And in the envelope is one of the little toy soldiers, which yeah. has been talked about. I can't remember which episodes that's in. That it's,
0: it's in a couple.
1: It's in a couple, I think. But I feel like it's an early one. Those are something that um, Ted's son gave him so that the soldiers would watch his back. While he's mm-hmm. overseas. And so he gives Jamie one of those soldiers and it's just such a nice moment. And it's also a great leadership moment because Ted's under no obligation to do any of that. Right. He's None not, Jamie's not on his team anymore. He's nope. not his leader anymore, but again, it's just an indicator of who he is and, and how he chooses to show up as a leader.
0: And I think that goes back to what we said in a, in a previous episode, that the little things are not little things. That's exactly that was a right. big thing. That was a huge thing. And I, I think the other piece that's really important here that we, I, again, I was talking to one of my coaching clients this week about this is that we have, you know, the person that you see in front of you at work is there's so much more going on than what you know. Yeah. Right. Like by proxy, Ted is the antithesis of Jamie's dad, right? Which is why. I mean, that's what Jamie grew up with. So of course, Ted seems absurd to yeah. him, right? And why why would I make the extra pass when I know, by the way, that my dad's going to come and... Sh- like, I think the thing is, dad says, I didn't come all this way to see my son make the pass. Yeah,
1: yeah. Right?
0: Like, like you're a loser for not taking all of the, all of the credit and all of the glory. And I just... And, and I'm glad that we have the guests that we have today that, that we're going to talk to because people are complicated beings and so much of what is sitting in front of you has nothing to do with yeah. what is sitting in front of you. Yes, it, that's exactly it has right. nothing to do with the work. It has nothing to do with the job. It has nothing yeah. to do with the tasks. It has every so much more to do with the way the person was brought up, the expectations that they have, the story they're telling themselves in their head, the filter that they're using yeah. to filter all of the things—it's just—and—and and I think as leaders, most times, leaders that I've had that have been bad leaders make it all about the situation, yeah, and and not about the person. And the people who've been amazing leaders make it all about the person, yeah. And I think I've shared this before, but but one of the best phrases that I've ever had used on me, and I use it to this day. Uh, Shout out to Sherry Christopher for this, but she would say, help me understand, fill in the blank. Help me understand why you made that decision. Help me understand uh, what the goal or the objective of this was. Help me. And in that, she wasn't saying it explicitly, but she was saying to me, what what are the other things that are there that I need to know of that yeah. I'm not aware What's of? Under from the what surface. I see, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And oh, I just think the the more that we know, you know, people are like uh, going to going to lunch. Why would I waste my time going to lunch with somebody and not talking about business? Well, because you're going to learn a whole bunch about their yeah. story, yeah, right. And and learn what has made the person sitting in front of you the person sitting in front of you yeah and absolutely that's so important
1: yeah i hmm. love that love it okay what else do we want to go into from this episode
0: i think we just need to hit these couple of quotes before oh, we bring these on quotes. Our, our do star the hope guest. one
1: because it's so good
0: yeah so you know i i gravitated to this one anyway because the you know the the mission of fire starters is to ignite hope into torch fear so Anytime people are talking about hope, I love it. And so Ted is talking to, to everybody, and he says, You know, I've been hearing this phrase you all got over here that I'm that I ain't too crazy about. It's the hope that kills you, which is the phrase, right? Y'all know this. Y'all know that. I disagree. I think it's the lack of hope that comes and gets you. And I love that he said, like, it comes and gets you, like it yeah. searches you out, yeah. right? It's not just some random thing. And then he goes on his uh, his little preach about, about what he believes about hope. He says, see, I believe in hope. I believe in belief. Now, where I'm from, we got a saying, too. A question, actually. Do you believe in miracles? Oh,
1: so good. This is what he says to everybody right before they go out to play the game. It's a pretty good pep talk. Yeah. I mean, just doesn't get much better than that.
0: No, that's so good. And yeah. then, you know, we'll end it on a on a funny note
1: (laughs) well and just because you know it's the finale they had to give us another tea moment they just had so at the end they're you know ted and rebecca are meeting and and ted is certain he's getting fired by the way that she's going to bring in another coach now that things have changed and and she ends up telling him that she's not and she wants him to stay and to see what happens and so she offers him some tea and he says, "No tea, and I are on a lifelong hiatus," which is funny. So he says, "Just water, please." So she pours him some water, and it turns out it's carbonated water. So just when he thinks he's safe from the tea, turns out she's got carbonated water in her office, and he, I mean, spits it everywhere, all over her. And there's like this pause, and then he goes, "Did I get you?" <laughs> <laughs> and she's just covered. Like I, it's I like drooping off her earlier, eyebrows. I, like, I would have paid many thousands of dollars to be in the room when that was filled. Can you imagine?
0: It's so good. And what's really great about this. And I didn't think about this until just now, when you were talking about it, they have literally brought it first full circle from episode one to episode 10, because (laughs) the first one was when he was offered tea and he spits the water at the press conference. And you know, oh, and I love right.
1: it. I forgot that he does. Yeah. That press so,
0: so it's, it's first, you know, it's the very first thing. And then, and he says, you know, it's a similar response where he's, you know, apologizes for spewing all over people's phones and cameras and all that stuff. But I love this because it, you, it's unexpected. Again, the writing is so brilliant. Like you expect this tender moment and you kind of laugh about the tea thing. And then he, and then he just spits all over and it's, gosh, it's so great. So good. So good.
1: All right. Well, I know we're both excited to dig in and start talking to our guests. So let's let's get to that.
0: I cannot wait. So in the studio today, we are so excited to have our good friend, Enneagram expert, soberish coach, Rach, which is going to tell you all about those things. But we are so excited to have Rachel Pritz uh, in our midst today to talk about Ted Lasso and the Enneagram. So Rachel, could you just first introduce yourself and tell our listeners who you are for those who don't know you?
2: Sure. Yeah. So I appreciate that. I love how you said studio since we're all sitting in our houses, but we'll pretend right. that we are. Yeah. A very well, high you know, this is the studio. podcast studio. Perception radio.
0: is reality.
2: Is. So it here a, we go. It's the virtual
0: um, podcast studio.
2: Yeah. Uh, so I, I use the term expert lightly. Many people will say Enneagram expert. And I swear every time I read something new on the Enneagram, I get knocked off my high horse yeah. of considering myself as an expert because there's so much there. And so much to learn, but it is something that's been a huge uh, personal growth opportunity for me. I use it with lots of clients um, with the right teams. When it makes sense, I'll use it with teams, Um, Mm. some boards recently I've been using the Enneagram with, which has been really fun to help kind of expedite their work together. So I do some Enneagram work. I am a certified life coach. I also do executive coaching. So I kind of have my hands in all of the things. And in the past year or so, I started exploring my relationship with alcohol and it being a center stage in my life. And I decided I didn't like that anymore. And so Really uh, cut back almost all of my drinking, went from drinking almost a bottle of wine a night to drinking pretty much nothing. Mm. Um, And it feels great. And so I've been helping a lot of clients uh, with that. So that's a a little niche area that I've carved out that's been really impactful for me personally and professionally. So that is what I do. I'm a nurse by background. I would have never guessed that I'd be sitting here doing a podcast on the Enneagram and Ted Lasso, but here I am. So (laughs) I love it.
0: But all your coaching thing goes right into this whole, you know, Ted's a great coach. So I think it's great that we have a like a coach's coach in here today. So
1: that's fantastic. Absolutely.
0: Thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We just are thrilled to have you, Rachel. And I'm excited for you to tell our listeners more about the Enneagram. So can you start with just like background? What is it? Why would somebody want to use it? Why should Maybe spell it because
0: people are like, any, yeah. any who, <laughs> any a how, yeah. any, uh, it's like yeah. a Dr. Seuss kind of thing.
2: I remember five years ago when I was uh, listening to a podcast or maybe it was an audible book. I can't remember, but I was walking on the Monon and they were saying, which for those of you not in Indianapolis, that's a wonderful trail that you can <laughs> walk on. Um, call Good call. But, but I remember looking it up and I spelled it I-N-N. EA. And I'm like, what is this thing? I don't understand. And then of course it pops up because I wasn't the only idiot that spelled it wrong. (laughs) Um, so yeah, yeah, really. I kind of stumbled upon it. It was probably about five years ago and I just got curious about it. I was a bit of a skeptic up front. I'm always a little bit, I think I have a healthy level of skepticism with some of these things where it's like, ah, it's just going to put me in this box. And I think I'm so much more than that. You know, many, of so much more than a number. Seriously. So, you know, it was like, I had to get, I had to just check my ego a little bit and um, take a peek inside. And so I really just started not knowing it would turn into what it did. And like I said, it was really just a personal growth tool that I used, but it's been around for a really long time. It's just recently gotten a lot of attention for sure. and Especially
0: in the West, right? Like especially in the U.S. Well,
2: and and in South America is really where they really started expanding it from a psychology standpoint in the 1950s and then brought it to the U.S. And so, you know, really human psychology hasn't been around for that long. So it was around the 1950s that we were starting to develop that and people were connecting it with the Enneagram and saying, hey, this thing kind of has some legs here. We're actually seeing a lot of these motivators and such uh, line up with what we're seeing in human behavior. So I think the big differentiator that um, the Enneagram has with some other typology tools and personalities um, or personality tools is that it's around motivations. So it's really around the why behind mm-hmm. your behaviors. Yep it's not talking about specific behaviors. Jason, you and I are two different types and we might have the exact same behavior and it comes for a completely different place totally. and for a completely different reason. Yep. So that's what makes it really hard actually is I was doing some homework on... On, you know, the show and I watched the first couple of episodes again, because it's been a long time. It was like, gosh, this is, this is really hard Mm -hmm. because the external behaviors rarely ever really match what's going on internally. So you really have to dive in deep with people to understand why they're doing the thing they're doing. And we as human beings rarely ever understand that ourselves. Yeah. So I think that's what's great about the Enneagram is it kind of gives you this language that I just didn't have until I discovered it. And I knew when I read the type nine, which is the type that I um, am most dominant. And I I just knew reading some of those words that those were true for me. I, it was just this inner knowing that it was I just knew it, you know, and it's like, gosh, this also doesn't feel great. Yeah, so, <laughs> it was hard.
0: So can you break like so, I'm you know, we try in when we put these episodes out to help people, you know, some who have, who've known, who have an idea, maybe they can spell the Enneagram and have found it online and others who are like, I don't even know what this is. Like, what are, what are we even talking about? So can you give us, um, I'm thinking, you know, broad overview, the numbers, maybe wings and arrows and some of those things that people hear just like super high level for somebody who's like, that sounds kind of interesting. I want to know a little bit, you know, this, this might pique their interest to go dig a little deeper.
2: Sure. So you don't need to go through all nine of the types, just like no, no, no. Level? Just tell
0: us just tell us how like how how this is maybe different from like a disc profile or from like a Myers Briggs because you know they get yeah. this gets lumped in a lot aside from the Y, which I think is the major yeah. distinguisher.
2: Yeah, I would say the major distinguisher is that that motivator, there's sort of a nature versus nurture conversation between some of these. I think the enneagram actually does both of those. There's some teachers that think it's really a nature conversation. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's a lot there for sure. And we're just, gosh, we develop these little personas as young people, really young people. And we carry them throughout our lives. And we're continuously just doing the same patterns of behavior because that's what we've known. And it's what feels comfortable to our brains from a neuroscience perspective. And so we just keep going down that same path until one day we wake up and we're like, this isn't working for us anymore. We've got to change something here which I know I've experienced. I think both of you have experienced that. Major. It's why you do yep. what you, you do, bet. you know, is, yep. is you know learning and growing and developing. Um, when it comes to wings, because you may hear us say that, and that can be confusing when we throw around these different uh, terms. I know that was super confusing to me when I first started my journey, but wings are essentially just the number on either side of your number. Uh, it goes from one through nine. If you are a nine, you have a potential one wing or a potential eight wing. So that's a little bit unique. Um, If you're a two, for example, you'd have a potential three wing or a potential one wing. So it's just the number on either side of your number. You're not changing into that number. That's not your core motivation, but you will see some of the behaviors come out from those types. So that's where people can get confused where they're like, my behavior is this but I'm like, okay, what's the motivation behind that behavior? That's how we can really get into that that uh, core type. Yeah. And then we talk about stress and growth lines. Those are really, you know, you can say stress or growth, but really we can encompass all aspects of those particular um, stress and growth opportunities. So, for example, I'm a nine. I know Beth is also a nine. Um, we have a connection point with three and six. So I can use the high side of three. I can also use the very low side of three and I can use the high side of six and I can use the very low side of six. And the
0: high and low mean what to somebody who's never heard that?
2: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I think that's a huge part of to the Enneagram actually is the uh, levels of development. And so when I will say it's a healthy type seven, that just means they're Which very- yeah. Well, I would agree with that. I think mm-hmm. that's true. I think Thank that you. True. I appreciate that. So yeah. Yeah. So when I say somebody's a healthy type seven, that just means they have really done their work. They're highly self-aware. They're also highly social aware, socially aware. Um, so I would say that's what healthy means. Then you have the average, which is where most people live. Most people live in that average space. It's autopilot. It's just easy and comfortable. Like I said, we're going yeah. down that same neural pathway. And then you have the unhealthier aspects of those, um, of each type. So there's kind of three levels within each one of those, those three subsets of, Of health and levels of development. So when you hear us talk about that, um, that is what we're talking about—just those different levels of development. And we all know this to be true. You know, when we show up in spaces where we feel healthier mentally and emotionally, and even physically, Mm -hmm. you know, you know those times in your life, and you know those times where you are more in that average or even unhealthy space. You know, I could identify some times in my life where I was in more of the unhealthy space. And you get down into some of that stuff, and there's some diagnoses that you can place with those. I mean, it gets pretty scary down there for sure. So yeah. Um, but I think the cool thing about that is there's just so much growth opportunity. So you can be mm-hmm. in that unhealthy space and you can get, you can inch your way and work hard all the way up 100% to the agree. space. And yeah. have seen yeah. that with
0: some of my clients as well. That's yeah. very, very true. Super
1: true. Hey, Rachel, yeah. what would be a good resource if somebody is like, Ooh, I'm really interested in this. I don't know anything about it. What, what would a, what would a good like starting point be for them to continue to learn about it?
2: Yeah. I mean, typically there's, there's a lot of books out there, but I would say the road back to you uh, with Ian Cron and too. Suzanne yeah. Stabil, I just think it's a really good high level synopsis of all the types. Um, he has a great uh, podcast typology. If you're looking to learn more about specific types, if you're narrowing in on a few types, uh, he does a good job of interviewing specific types and calling out what their, their yes. type is. So you can yeah. listen to those. As I was discovering that I was a nine, I started listening to more of those. I had originally listened to a lot of three uh, people because that's what I thought I was. Is what the test said. So I was listening to that and some of that made sense for me, but not all of it. And so that's really how I discovered I was a nine because I listened to other people's experiences within their style. It's really hard to read something and really understand what that looks like for you, especially if you're new to exploring your own internal world, which most of us are. We kind of avoid it. It's a scary yeah. place
1: to be. Yeah. And I think this one more than anything else, like you can find like the assessment online. Um, You can pay. It's not even that expensive, right? It's like 10 yeah. or 15 bucks. You can take the real assessment yourself. But this more than any other tool, I think that's on the market. That's just a starting point. That is not the decider of what your type is, right? Like Rachel just mentioned. please take
0: the real test. Take don't the do real test. the don't stupid Facebook. Face
1: yeah. Yeah, don't, <laughs> so, T- don't take the TikTok Enneagram.
0: The doing- Test. You're doing that's all my so work stupid. for me. Yeah. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> you know.
1: The converted almost always are the ones who end up being the best preachers, right? That's us right here. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. you have
0: people yeah. who do those who are like, Oh, I took the TikTok and I'm a I'm an eight with like a two wing. And I'm like, that's yeah, not no, possible. Not, They're not. like, yeah, that's but that's what the, the, the TikTok. Yeah. I'm like, no, move on. Move, move along.
1: Yeah, but yeah. this one you really for... have to dig in. Like, you can't yes. just take the assessment at face value. I test as a two, yeah. Rachel tests as a three. We're nines. Like yeah. big, hard nines. I always but, test it yeah. as
0: a seven. I know well, see, shocking. but you're,
1: yeah, you're a, you're special. It's most that's seven, awesome. seven that's ever seven. That's Jason Barnaby right there.
2: That's so. right. Yeah. So, yeah, I would recommend the Enneagram Institute ready assessment. They say it's got about an 82% validity rate. I think it's lower personally, just coaching over the last three years. So many clients are mistyped, but only they can tell, you know, so I have no idea what their primary motivators are. Only they can really do that exploring. So I, I am not a proponent of typing people and saying they have to be this type we're going to do that a little bit today we're we just are just because these are like they're characters this is fine we can do this they're but not real people <laughs> it's really hard to do um and i have worked with one other enneagram teacher who uses the enneagram in her drama class so she teaches drama and she teaches these different sorts of personas and ways to Ooh, show up that's and interesting. so it's really cool she was actually on my leading with the enneagram podcast and it's really cool what she does there she's also used myers briggs in the past as well but really cool to think about that from a story perspective and how writers come up with these characters they use mm-hmm. a lot of these typology yeah. systems. So yeah, absolutely. Very cool we used to actually to use, um,
1: I used to do a ton of work with Myers-Briggs and when I was still working with the government, we used to use Pixar movie clips for yeah. Myers-Briggs uh, types yeah. because it, I mean, it'll be spot on. You can find a yep. character in almost every movie that'll match right up with Myers-Briggs type. <sighs> yeah. So they absolutely yeah. get used for writing and storytelling all the
0: time. Yes. So before we so, get into talking about the, um, you know, typing the characters on Ted Lasso. Um, I just, I want to say this piece and then Rachel, I want to just get your feedback as an Enneagram. I'm going to call you an Enneagram expert knocked off the pedestal right. or not from the latest publication of things. But so I will say for me, and I say this to my coaching clients, cause I use it with my, my client's um, the tests, and then we we get to you know unpack the heart of the why. So for me, it would it changed it literally, and I'm not overstating this. The Enneagram changed my life because it helped me to see so much of the why behind. And I will say, when I first learned the why of the seven, I was like, that's bullshit. There's no way that I am that's that's crap. No, uh-uh. And then it was like, fuck that's exactly why i that's exactly it that's totally it and so you what i've heard in a lot of the podcasts that i've listened to is people talk about doing the work of the enneagram right like once you figure out a pat like you think um i'm either this or that or you know i'm narrowing it down to maybe two or i really think that i am this and i'm going to dig in can you speak just a little bit to what people are talking about? Cause I think that's talked about a lot in Enneagram circles is doing the work of your number or doing the work of the Enneagram. Um, and is it worth it? What does that look like? Is it scary, et cetera?
2: Yeah, it's a great question because there's not really any hard and fast rules of what the work means. Mm-hmm. I do think it is a lot of time and a lot of observation of self and we don't always do that well in our current culture. We just behave a certain way and we move forward and we don't spend the time to reflect on why we did that thing. Mm-hmm. And so there's no there's no medal at the end of this. You don't get like that you've met peak growth even if you get to that highest level of health that we were talking about Nobody gives you a medal when you get there and you can get knocked right back down. I've been there, you know, like I've been up there and then I've gotten knocked right back down to that average space. So it's just consistency, I think, and really Mm -hmm. being intentional every single day. I was connecting something with what I was learning about my Enneagram style. I would say I still do that five years in that I'm still connecting something where I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, that's why I did that thing. Or that's why I chose the sports that I chose to play in school. So type nines are aren't known for loving conflict. And I chose sports that were either behind a net or I was on a, a softball field where I didn't have to touch anybody, but I was best mm. at basketball. I just didn't want to push against people that felt too, like too much conflict for me. Yeah. Mm. And while I didn't have the words to describe it then I do now. So it's just, it's fun to kind of walk through these experiences. I love having clients when they discover their type or they're within two types and they're not really sure I'll have them get out an old photo album and just have that trigger of like, Oh
0: yeah, Mm, that's, Oh, that's such a good idea.
2: Look at, look at me on the stage. I'm kind of behind the curtain, but I want to come out. There is a picture Mm -hmm. of me that is that, and that is how they describe nines typically. And that hit really hard for me to, to think that, yeah, I do. I want to be at center of the stage, but I feel like, I have nothing to say and nobody's gonna listen.
0: Those were my two what if abouts. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, that just that hit me right in the chest, Rachel. So good.
1: Yeah, that's where this tool yeah. is so powerful because mm-hmm. it's not just surface level observations. It's often deep yeah. realizations like that. Right. And that's right. where I think it really shines. If you're willing to do some one-on-one inner work with yourself, yeah. it's yeah. the tool that will help you grow and develop the most.
2: Yeah. So to answer your question, it's really hard. It's also something that you can just make quarter inch turns every, every day Mm -hmm. and you can really make incredible change in your life. I would agree with you, Jason, completely changed my life. Yeah. Completely changed my relationships, my relationship with my partner. I I mean, all of the things completely changed the way I parent my own children. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, i'm I'm with you on that. It took a lot of time, though. I didn't get yeah. that from the test and reading the results, which were totally, wrong by the yep, way. Yep, <laughs> I didn't exactly. get that experience. It took me years of intentional growth and development to get there, yeah,
0: yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think it is very similar. you know, for anybody that's ever bought a car and you you know suddenly you're driving around in your car that you just bought and you see that car everywhere you go, like at every <laughs> single intersection. I feel like when you start doing the work, like you just start seeing these things, like it's like, oh, there it's over there. It's over there. Oh, I see it in this. Oh, it's the, which is, I mean, for me, because I love this stuff, it's, and I geek out on it. It's so fun, but it, it's not easy.
1: Yeah. That definitely does not make it, make it an easy process. And I struggled a lot. Rachel, we talked about this a little bit in episode two. I think that you are the reason why I know I'm a nine is because of Rachel, because I did... (laughs) a coaching program that Rachel did for other coaches wanting to learn more about the Enneagram. And when I found out I was a nine, I was not thrilled about it. (laughs) I was like,
2: yeah, usually your type really pisses you off. Like you're like, like, no, I'm going to argue against this. I mean, our ego gets in the way of this. And I think we're trying to dismantle the ego. That's the point. When you get to that real growth space, I think the ego has very little grip on you. Yeah, um, with the it exception still of the pops up seven. for me for sure. Maybe maybe not for sevens, <laughs> um, but yeah, or maybe maybe not for sevens or eights. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that the ego has this grip on us where so we're going to argue against these things, yeah. and yeah. when we can loosen that up a little bit and be a little more open. Uh, that's when the magic happens for sure. Yeah, and and you're right. You're so right. The stuff just like lands in your lap where you're like, All right already. I got it Fine, now. I'm, I'm a nine. I I've heard this for the 17th nine. time. I get it now. So <laughs>
1: exactly. Funny. I came into my awareness of being a nine with uh, with the temper tantrum of a two year old. And it took me a little yeah. bit to get to the point where I was like, Okay, yeah. you're just a nine. that's
0: how I felt when I realized what my <laughs> why was. I was like,
2: Yeah. No, yeah. no, I don't yeah, want it. It's to real cute when Podcast. I read that we were stubborn, you know, us nines, I'm stubborn and passive aggressive. And I was like, No, I'm not, you can't tell me what I am. And it's like, Oh my, like, come on, oh, here we go. It. Like, yeah, yeah, here we are so, again. Yeah,
1: everywhere I turn around, <laughs> there I am, being Yikes. a stubborn horse's ass about yes. stupid stuff. But yeah, I, yeah, really. So maybe cool. that's
0: a good segue into do we have any nines on in Ted Lasso? We have, what do you, do you think, do you, Rachel? You?
1: I have a couple of, of yeah. people that I wonder, but I would really yeah. appreciate your And so before before
0: you say that though, what is that? because um for those listening, uh, when you go out, there's some different apps and things that you can look at. I really enjoy the it's called the Enya app. Spelled the beginning mm-hmm. of it, is spelled the same way. And you can get uh, each number hat one through nine has a nickname, a, a title something like that, right? Like the the seven is the enthusiast mm-hmm. or the joyful person. Um, the nine is the peacemaker. Am I correct in that? Yeah. 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 Sometimes um, called the
2: mediator. So you'll notice there's, there's multiple names depending on which teachers you're, you're learning from. So you may notice that that was very confusing to me. I'm like, am I a peacemaker or a mediator? It's essentially yes. the same thing. It's just,
0: somebody just two different, different ways copyright. to look
2: at it. I think the biggest one is probably the type one is called the perfectionist in some spaces and other people call them the reformers. I prefer the reformer because not all of them, when you look at the subtypes, have perfectionistic qualities to them, like we would think in the traditional sense, but they are reformers. They are big. All those fools are reforming. Yeah. It's right and wrong. And that's it. (laughs) So, uh, no gray. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I think, I think that, that that's another important piece to think of is some of those names, you know, like the type eights are called the challengers or sometimes called the protectors. I think they Mm. can be both. So I think Mm. when they're healthier, they are the protectors when they're more in that average space, they can be more of the challenger. Yep. I'm married to an
0: eight. So I see both of those. Yeah. Good point.
2: Yeah. And I don't, we can probably start with the characters as I think the easiest one to type is Roy Kent. Roy Kent. He's got to be the easiest. And I think he's an eight. You know I mean? I think he's Yeah. And he's got the off.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
2: For sure. Like, and he's also one of my favorite characters, which is so interesting because eights used to scare the hell out of me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I have really learned to just embrace eights. I understand their motivation and they have such a, a need to be self reliant. Yes. And they don't want to show any vulnerability. And that really opens my heart up to them because I'm like, oh my gosh, they just don't want to be seen as vulnerable or weak yeah. or like they can't take care of themselves, you know? So yes. that's huge. But you see his protector side come out too. Yes. There are some, especially I think in the second season, there was a little more of that, but you see him come out. Yeah. And, man, you, you want to eight in your corner. Um, well, and that, that vulnerability,
0: too, that vulnerability with his niece is so precious. Yeah. It's just so sweet. You know, this guy who, like, they've got this national song they sing about him, like, you know, with F-bombs all over it. And he's just, he's really, like, when you peel, when you get past the outer really tough mm-hmm. wall, he's just a big old teddy bear.
1: And that's yeah. so true for most eights. Like, if you can get in there, they are big squishy that's, bears in there. it's a big old pounds, if, though. but. Yeah, yeah, they're sure they're you got to get through all those external layers. And I think the other thing that you really see with him that's so eight is he's got such great natural leadership qualities, like he's team captain and you see him step up in those ways. And that's also very eight. They tend to be really drawn to those positions.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see like 20-year-old Roy Kent, you yeah. know, because I would imagine he's evolved over time and stepped into more of that protector space and yeah. leadership versus maybe being a bulldozer in his 20s. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe well, they'll make a little spin-off show Roy Kent as a baby. I don't know that would be fun. cool. I would well, there's that, that
0: there's that quote by uh Nate, right? Where he says, he's like, You used to be pissed off at the grass. <laughs> like <laughs> right. Like, yeah. So he I don't was, recall that, but that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. He was a pretty, he was an angry young man.
1: Yes. Yeah. I love that. All right. What do we think about Ted? Let's go to Ted. Oh, come on. What do you think, Rachel?
2: Okay. So this is where the subtypes really play with you here because yeah. there is a social subtype, which is the counter type, which essentially means it doesn't always line up with that particular type. I think Ted is a social seven. Mm. So, um, the other two subtypes tend to be more self-focused yep. and that's why people mistype this. I think a lot of them will say he's a two because he's a no. very yeah. thoughtful yeah, person. And so he, you know, like he throws a birthday party for Sam and, you know, like he does all these things where you're like, gosh, that's not very seven. Like I remember watching that and thinking, gosh, there's so many, like, I think more, sevens are more self-focused. Um, But the social seven is not the social seven is much more externally focused and can look a little bit more like a two. Um, He's definitely, if I'm not right about the seven, he's definitely in the positive outlook group. So two sevens and nines live in that positive outlook group. There's no way in hell Ted Lasso doesn't live in one of those three spaces for sure. Well, and I Um, think there's
1: a little touch of nine, like there's probably an argument to be made for nine too. I'd be interested in the, you know, underlying motivation to, And, and we'll talk about this more in season two, as we dig into those episodes, but I also see some nine in him in the journey he takes with the mental health counselor that appears in season two, because I think that quality we have of just not fully being awake to what's happening with us. And you see that really kind of spiral up with him. Also his, you know, natural desire for everybody to just be okay. Okay. You know, that, that that, like, I can see a case there too. I think he's got, he's, Yep. I think there's a case to be made for two, seven and nine for him for sure.
2: I I would agree with that too. As I dug into the subtypes, I'm like, okay, what, what am I missing here? Cause I'm having a hard time type typing him. Yeah. And I do think that social subtype, just that really rang true for me where I'm like, that makes sense now. Cause I, when I first watched, it, I'm like, this dude has got to be a seven, you know, <laughs> the first few episodes. <laughs> and I'm telling my husband who is a seven, all of this. And he's like, I don't care, Rachel. I just want to enjoy the entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good need to um, understand what number he is. Yeah. Yes. And so I'm like, if this guy's not a seven, I don't know who is, you know, and then you like, you watch this character just evolve. And I was like, gosh, he's so like he is very other focused. And I just don't mm-hmm. always see that with seven. So when I was digging into the subtypes um all of last year, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense now. Mm-hmm. So there is one subtype of each type that doesn't line up completely with that kind of traditional type. Um, so I don't know. It's interesting as I'm talking to a seven and a nine, um and I'm yeah. a nine. and mm-hmm. so I can see some nine in him as well. I think, Sevens and nines specifically like to avoid harder feelings. And you start yeah. to see some of that come out, especially in the second season. And yeah, him having an anxiety attack, I don't even think he knew what the heck no, happened. Yeah, he didn't. Because no he didn't. He, has he had anxiety his whole life? Probably. Oh, um, but he just sure. didn't. If he's he didn't a seven,
0: he sure has. What,
2: right. He just didn't know what that felt <laughs> like. Yeah. And so you just saw yeah. it like totally derail him yeah. because right. they kind of do live in like a Peter Pan land. you know, It's kind of like, everything's fine. Everything's awesome. So So before
0: we move on to any other characters, I just want to press pause on a couple of things. So for those of you who are listening, who are like, oh, cool. The Enneagram has nine numbers. Wait, subtypes? Psych. There's actually 27 numbers if you really want to (laughs) get into it, because every number has three subtypes. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is this. Well, it's kind of got two parts. One is we we all have different pieces of different numbers and there it, there are benefits of every number and yes. finding that those places where we where we're really low in other numbers is a place where we can lean in and and find some growth the the goal of this whole exercise if you're thinking about doing the enneagram like I'm a 7 is not to be like super 7 although there's <laughs> yeah. a piece of that because I'm a 7 that I want to be super 7 but like that's not the goal is to be the best version of seven with all of the other two. You know, I've heard people say it's a, you know, all the other numbers are tools in your tool belt and things that mm-hmm. you can use. And so this isn't that we, we, even though you have a, a primary number in these wings and, and you go, you know, with the arrows to different places, it all, we are complex people and we are, you know, Rachel and Beth yeah. are not nines all the time.
1: Right? No. Like, and I think so, the thing that the tools like this are supposed to do for us right. when they're used for, for good is to help you get true. to a point where you're not just reacting automatically, you're reacting with choice. Right. You're right. reacting yep. with what's going to serve me best in this situation. Yep. Intention. Not just what yeah. do I do get? What do I normally? Well, normally I fly off the handle or normally I hide under my desk. You want to get to a point where you choose the behavior that's going to get you the result that you want in the right. situation or it's going to a relationship or whatever that is. What'd you say, Jason?
0: I said, normally I plan a trip.
2: That's right.
0: Because, you know, you know, you know, my my problems won't go in my bag with me. They'll stay right. They will stay back here. Yeah.
2: Yeah, They don't follow you around. No, I appreciate that point, Jason. I think that's a really important point. I think my goal in life is to look less and less like a nine. And people will tell me, I'm shocked. I'm shocked that you're a nine. And I'm like, you should have met me five years ago. I was a human doormat. Like, I was about as nine as you could get. And so my goal is to look as, as little as, a nine as I possibly can by the time I leave this earth. So.
0: Which just reminds me very quickly. My son is a nine and he actually apologized once he goes, we were talking about something and my wife and I were kind of like telling him to like be a little tougher. Right. And he goes, I'm sorry that I'm so forgiving. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that is so perfect. I love it. Oh my
2: gosh. Well, I
1: want to get get us to a couple other characters. Do you have, um, Guesses on any others, Rachel?
2: So I think Coach Beard is probably a five. I think he might have a bit of a four wing. There's that one mm-hmm. episode. I think it's in the second season where you can see some of his like uniqueness. Yeah. Oh, just, yeah. Yes. Ep- but if yeah. you ask him, like I even just watching the first two episodes again, I'm like, he knows all the stats. He's yep. somewhat, you know, quieter, so he'll kind of stand mm-hmm. back, but he knows everything. Like yes. he knows what's going on. And Ted looks at him and says, "What do you think, Coach?" And he knows the answer. Yeah. So I Are really think nuts? he's a five. He seems like a student and observer. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, the the five with the four wing is such a fascinating yes person. And so I do think that maybe he's got a little bit of a four wing coming out there too. In yep. in that one episode where they kind of focused in on him a little bit more. Yeah, I love. Do you that. have a guess on Rebecca? So I think she's probably a one or a three. I'm leaning more towards a one, actually. Um, for a while, I thought she was a three, but okay. I, it's, I, she's, I think she's one of those two. But I can't fully um, fully get on, on board with either one. So it's interesting because at the beginning, she's trying to really sabotage the whole thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she comes and across almost like- eight-ish. Yeah. 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 And so ones one can especially. come off as, mm-hmm. as a little eight-ish. Um, and so that's what sort of made me think of that, but then I'm also like, gosh, but I don't know if a one would do some of those things, but she quickly dismantles that where she's like, all right, fine. Yes. <laughs> this guy's a good guy. Like she, it's right. pretty quick where she stops trying to sabotage things. But at well, the and even I'm while like, she's
1: Sheesh. trying to sabotage things so often, her normal delightful self leaks out. Like she can't help yeah. it. Right. Like it just yeah. is there, right.
2: So, well, and I think you see her in the second season start to have a little more fun. And yes. what I hear from ones all the time, because they have that seven connection point. They want to have fun. There's just too much work to be done for them to have any fun. And
0: nobody else is doing the work. So they got to do it. Yeah,
2: so exactly. I'm doing all the hard work, so I got to do it. And I can't have any fun. I mean, I have a lot of clients that are ones that will say, like, my adult children call me the fun police you know, okay. I am the fun police. <laughs> um, and it's not because they don't want to have fun or they don't, they can't have fun. It's just, they feel like there's too much to too many problems to solve in the world for them to, yeah. to do that. Well, enough so, sevens
0: appreciate the ones in the world because they're yeah. busy doing the work so we can go off and have fun. We appreciate that's you. That's,
2: right. <laughs> that's yeah. right. So I don't know. And then there's the image conscious thing, which the twos, threes, and fours are very image conscious, not just externally, but you know, she's obviously, um, you know, horrified at her, uh, ex-husband Rupert's, you know, stuff going on and all the things that he's done. And you can tell that there's a huge hit to her for that, yeah. where it's like, gosh, right. I'm in the public eye and they're asking me these questions about my cheating husband. And that was like, you know, really hard for her, which it would be for anybody, but you know, somebody that's more image conscious would struggle with that.
1: Yeah, right. for sure. I love that. What about Keely? What do you think he I is? don't know? She's a hard
2: one. I go between is. seven and nine. I don't know. I and I'm not sure. You know, I've seen some other people say she's a two, and I, I've seen I honestly, three for her too. One. Yeah, I could see that too. I I kind of lean more towards nine and I just see her growing. Um, and I think she taps into some of those three qualities as she grows. Um, there was one episode, I think it was in the second season where she um, you know, they're really celebrating her and she has a hard time with that. Yeah, she and nines that tend all. to struggle with yeah. that. Um, when people are celebrating them, they're like, no, no, I'm not that special. Forget it. It's not that great. You know? So anyway, I, yeah, I would say those it's probably between those two types. Those are kind of my thoughts, but I'm curious actually, since both of, you know, it like any different thoughts, I don't know. Uh,
1: so I've seen online, some people making a case for Keely as a three. And I think, especially mm. as you see her kind of settle into her. Spoiler alert, she kind of starts her own business and expands career wise a little bit in season two. I can see why people make that argument, but I agree. I think there's nine or there's two there too. Like, I don't know. I'm not completely buying three. She could be three, two wing or two, three wing, like that. That seems possible for sure.
2: Well, and there's the social subtype of the nine. Looks a lot like a three. Yeah, that's so they true. can get mistyped as a three. Um, so there's that too, you know, you get into all these subtypes, and that's when my brain starts to exploding. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I think Higgins, I think he's probably a two. I've heard that argument. I don't know. He is very helpful in nature. Yes. Um, when you see him, I think it's a Thanksgiving episode, I can't remember. Yes. He hosts yes. people. Yep. And that's about the twoest mm-hmm. like right. hosting I've ever seen, you know? And they're just warm,
0: especially people. in that tiny apartment with all those people that come over. Yes. Right. And He's he, just like, like welcome,
2: like, welcome. That would be a nightmare to me. I would not say welcome in to all those people. And a two would be like, oh my gosh, yes. Like the more the merrier, just yeah. so inviting. And just him talking, I don't know, just about his family and seeing him with his wife. It, it just, it just felt very two-ish to me. So
1: yeah, absolutely. What do we think about Jamie?
2: I mean, I hear the argument a lot for three and I would say that's true. I also think he's got a pretty significant four wing. Yeah. I you can a lot of see there's like, mm-hmm. I want to be seen as an individual, yeah. you know, unique. Um, but I do think he's probably got a bit of that. Um, like, we, you know, we say that they put a mask on the threes do. Um, and you see some of that come out too, as his character unfolds where oh, everything's not great. He's not, yeah. everything's mm-hmm. not amazing and awesome. And he's not killing all of his goals. There's a darker side. Yeah,
1: yeah. For, sure. for sure. Okay. I think last one I had on my list that I want to make sure we got to was Nate. And Nate yeah. is tricky.
0: Nate is he tricky. because And no, no, we can't, we can't, uh, no spoiler, no spoiler alerts happens. for like the next season, but.
1: Oh, fair enough. I hope I yeah. didn't give any away. Again. No, you're fine. Know, Na- you're the Nate one is a big spoiler. So we don't want to give that away.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think he does have some trust issues. So I could, I could be, I could argue for six for sure. Um, Sixes do not easily trust and they will, they will test people to see if they are able to trust them, even sometimes unintentionally, you know, they're doing it without even knowing it. Um, So I could see the argument for six. I could see some of the um, like connection points with three and nine coming out too, where, you know, he doesn't always want to come out of the shadows. He starts off as somebody who nobody even knows his name you know in terms but then of like once wait a minute
1: out of the shadows you really see this kind of power dynamic
2: right spin. like
1: is there a type of those three that really seeks that kind of like power component
2: yeah so the co- the counter um 6 there's a we can yeah. call it the counterbalance 6 looks like an 8
1: and yeah. so I could
2: argue with that one too that yeah, there I, is that he is that kind of counter yeah, type six and that's, that's sixes call. are the only one that have that specific thing where they really look like an eight but their core motivation is still a six yeah. so I I as I was you know kind of reviewing for this I I thought the same thing i think, like yeah I could see him being something, that counterbalance yeah, type six something so. for sure. Yeah. So
1: lots to head for Nate. We don't want to run too much about that, but I know, uh, I know but so I'll be curious
2: another season in, you know, as, as there's I a whole know. other season and these characters continue to develop, I might completely change my mind. That's about right. Maybe we'll people. have you back we'll at do the a end revisit. of season two. We'll do a we'll revisit. revisit. Yeah. 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 But I'm it's sure. a hard one. Honestly, the more I know about the Enneagram, the harder it is for me to type people because yes. it's so dang dynamic. And yeah. there's yeah. so many things where I'm like, well, would that be a stressful experience to that character? Yeah. I don't know. You know, we don't we don't always know. And they, you know, the writers, I think specifically in this show, give us just enough to keep us interested for more. They're yep. not laying out these characters in black and white terms. Yeah. They're really and, letting them and develop we come back time. hungry
0: every season.
2: That's right. For and sure. you really get
1: yeah. to see them develop and grow. Yeah. And that is such a nice thing to see in characters. They're not flat. Yeah. They're constantly yeah. evolving all the time. I love it. Well, I want to be super respectful of everybody's time. I feel like we could talk to Rachel all day because I feel that way every time I talk to Rachel, Um, but tell Rachel, Rachel, tell them where they can find you. They need more Rachel Pritz in their life. How can they have that?
0: hundred (laughs) percent.
2: And if you don't need Rachel Pritz in your life, that's fine too. Just don't go to my website. Um, So (laughs) it's, it's real simple. I promise I don't have a big ego, but my website is just rachelpritz.com. Like that's it. It's just my name um and that kind of you know just outlines everything that i do so i do some team development work i work one on one with people i kind of do it all but my ultimate goal is really to grow and develop people to their full potential whether or not that's in a corporate job in a leadership space or whether or not that is in the nonprofit space or you are a stay at home parent i don't care if you have if you have the desire to grow and develop then i want to work with you so my website actually is up to date as of like about a month ago. Like everything's Yay. on it what I do and it's all in one place. It's so fun. Simple so. pleasures
0: in life.
1: And you're really fun to follow on social too. Tell them how they can do that. What's your handle on all the socials?
2: Yeah. So on Instagram, I am soberish with underscore coach underscore Rach. I didn't think that through with having to say that out loud (laughs) with the underscores. I did the same same thing thing on TikTok. So I don't know. I'm like a fossil on TikTok, but for some reason I have like 14,000 followers. So come follow me on TikTok if that's your brand of fun right now. And then LinkedIn, just, you know, Rachel Pritz, you can search me and find me there. I do a little bit of uh, stuff on all of those platforms. So whichever one speaks to you most.
0: Well, we were thankful to have you on our platform, Rachel. Thank you.
1: Yes, for sure.
2: I love what you're doing. And of course, it's always a delight to speak with both of you. So, Thanks for joining us for the Diamond Dogs podcast. We'd
1: love to hear your thoughts on the show. You can find us on Instagram at the diamond docs podcast or wherever you like to listen.